my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today I'm speaking with Joy R. Fisher Griffin. She is an author, entrepreneur, experienced educator, a passionate adoption advocate, and a patron of the arts. After going through her own struggles as an adoptee, Joy wrote her memoir, Finding Joy, a true story of faith, family, and love. She, she shared her story so that she could help others who sit in silence about their struggles, and she continues to find ways to be open about adoption, not only with adults, but with young people too. She is the author of two best-selling children's adoption books, Choosing Joy, An Adoptee's Journey and Finding Belonging, and Singing with Joy. There are lots of different ways to be a family. Joy's books are designed to bring awareness to adoption-sensitive topics and language. She believes adoptees, prospective adoptive parents, and adoptive and foster families can find resources and their community of support if we all stop whispering and let's talk adoption. Joy was recently appointed to the board of directors for Miriam's Heart, an organization supporting adoptive and foster families. Joy is no stranger to life's challenges, but truly believes finding joy is possible. So thank you so much for coming on to, to share your story and to you know, help us, help the listeners uh, become more aware of some of the, the struggles and um, really the emotions that are experienced by adopted children and even emotions that are experienced on into adulthood. Um, so thank you very much for coming on, Joy. Thank you for having me. Thank, and thank you for being bold. And I say bold enough to take on the topic. Sometimes people aren't sure, you know, about a topic like adoption. It's something that we're so quiet about, we're so silent about. And as I, as I said, and you read in the bio, you know, let's stop whispering and let's start talking about adoption. There's so many families and there's so many young people who need us to normalize these conversations so that they can find their community. And there's so many people in communities who want to figure out how can we help adoptive and foster families. So I hope to share some of that with you today. Well, let's let's start off with with your story. Where where were you born and raised? Um, and you know how how old were you when you were adopted? Yeah, I was adopted at two months old. Uh, I found out that I was adopted around four or five. I, I want to say just before I was getting ready to go off to kindergarten, my um, adoptive parents, my mom would always say, and I, and when I'm saying mom, I'm talking about my adopted mom. Uh, my mom would always say, you know, uh, at story time, at bedtime, she'd read a regular story, and, and, and somehow she would weave in stories about how I came into their family, and she'd share you know, that my biological mother wasn't able to keep me and that she did want me to find a, a good family and she wanted to find someone who would love me. And then that's how I came into their life. And that's the story that I've 
lived with and grown up with and just have always known um, that things just weren't, it wasn't the right time. And, you know, she decided to uh, relinquish me and, and so that I could be adopted and brought into their family. And although we've talked about my adoption since I was four or five years old, we didn't talk about it in conversations in the household. Um, it wasn't that anything was secret. Folks on the, friends on the block knew, family knew that I was adopted, but it was just something that it, I always thought that it made people uncomfortable if I brought it up or if they brought it up. So conversations would normally take place if something happened in the news. In a lot of states, you'll hear about legislation and changes that are happening in terms of opening previously sealed adoption records. So in our particular state, uh, individuals born between 1940 and 2015, if you were adopted, your records were sealed. So the birth certificate I have looks very different than the birth certificate I would have been given had I not been adopted. So as an adoptee, it just has my birth weight, it had my birth height, my birthday, city, state, and the name that my adopted parents had given me along with my adopted parents. So that is the information. There, you know, There's no hospital information, there's no other information on it that goes along with that. And so when the legislation changed, it then opened up those records so that adoptees and adoptive parents and birth parents even could get the original birth certificate of that child that was the adoptee. You do have to, every state is different though, and that's part of the challenge. Every state has their own rules. Every state um, has different years that they cover. Again, I'm in the state of New Jersey and we're 1940 to 2015. So those were the conversations that we would have in our house. When just for years before the legislation was gonna change, things would be in a newspaper about the debates that were going on about um, state legislators that, and congressmen that were bringing forth ideas about having this law, you know, why people wanted it, why people didn't want it, what, was the, what were both sides of, of the debate at, with the topic at hand. And so that would cause conversation in our household. And even if it didn't cause conversation, my family were known for cutting out newspaper articles. So they would cut out an article, write the little questions on it, and we would discuss it later on. So on one hand, it wasn't something we talked about regularly. But if it was on television, the, we were, the conversation was open. So as years go by, I've always, um, I would say about middle school, I was always uh, aware of being different from my adoptive family, uh, different whether that meant complexion and some of the things that I was interested in and just um, wanted to figure out, you know, where did I come from? Where are my birth parents? So I found myself without ever talking about this, and I didn't start talking about my journey until just five years ago and even my thinking, but I realized that I was looking in magazines because I'm tall, that I would think that maybe my birth mom is a, is a model. Maybe she's tall like me and she's a model. So as I'm looking in magazines, I'm looking for people that look like me. And those things happen over time. And then when you don't really hear people talking about your adoption story, it makes you begin to wonder as a child, okay, is it okay to talk about my adoption story? Can I ask questions? Can I not ask questions? So I think a lot of that comes with the, with the shame that goes along with, with adoption and the embarrassment because you're not sure. You know it makes uncomfortable people uncomfortable as soon as you bring it up. And so our legislation changed in our state and the state was going to allow adoptees who were born 1940 to 2015 access to their original birth certificate. And on that original birth certificate, if our 
biological parents were okay and had approved and, and didn't take off their information, we would then get our original birth certificate with our biological parent or parents' names on it. Um, the caveat to the law in our particular state was that birth parents had two years prior to the law being implemented to take their name off the birth certificate. So there was a chance that once I even applied for my birth certificate, that once I got it, the name would be blacked out. Uh, so the, the caveat to that was that they would at least give the uh, adoptee their medical history because you'll hear a lot of adoptees talking about, well, I really want to know what my medical history is. I have nothing to go on. So the law went into effect. I was able to apply for my original birth certificate and that came in the mail. When it came in the mail, it was pretty thick. So I just assumed that it was gonna, her name was gonna be redacted, taken off, just a pretty much a black line right through it and that she was sending me my medical history. So it took me a while to actually open the envelope when I received it. And I learned that uh, when I opened the envelope that she didn't redact her name, her name was there. I forgot that I ordered two copies of the, the information. So that's why my envelope was so, so thick. So fast forward, uh, prior to the legislation change, you, you hear about DNA all the time and how people are using DNA. And DNA is great. And so I use Ancestry and I use 23andMe. But because I, at the time I didn't have any names, there was no way to connect the DNA relatives that I found to figure out whose side of the family are they on. So it wasn't until January 2017 when I actually got that original birth certificate that I had a name to connect to the different family members. I couldn't put any pieces together on the family tree, but I had found a relative on Ancestry a year and a half prior to that. And that relative, I sent her the name of my birth mom who was on the birth certificate and said, this is the name that comes up on my original birth certificate. Is that name on your family tree? She and I always thought that we were related by my birth, birth parents, birth mother. And she said, you know, she took a couple hours. She said, give me some time. Now this cousin on, on Ancestry had over 2000 uh, family members on her tree. So I figured she would be a great person to talk to, but she couldn't find any connection to the name on my original birth certificate to her 2000 member plus family tree. And at that point we realized, okay, maybe we're not related on my birth mother's side. Maybe it's my birth father's side, but I didn't have his name because that was not on the original birth certificate. So we, we decided to pop my birth mother's name into Google. We popped it into Facebook and up pops a picture. And the picture that pops up on Google looks like my adopted mother. And it wasn't until I went to the legislative hearing to learn about the laws and how they were gonna change that I learned about a process called matching. So back in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, when young people were adopted, they would try to match up the child with the family that they were going into so that that child could then blend and appear as if that could be that adopted couple's child. And that learning about the history of adoption, that's where a lot of the shame and the secrecy that goes with adoption comes from because people were able to keep it, keep it secret. I mean, if you think about it, we all know someone who's adopted and sometimes they don't know they're adopted because of the secrecy that comes along with that. And when you look at the picture of my birth mother and you look at a picture of my adopted mother, that process of matching was something that truly existed. And that's part of the adoption history as well. So now I have a picture of my birth mother 
and we popped her name in again. I find out she's a preacher and I find out she's in education. I'm an educator. Uh, then I find out that she's about two cities away from where I am. And so I'm blown away. I don't know what to do with this information because I'm kind of in my room trying to figure out what do I do with all of this? And my um, cousin that I found on Ancestry, who I never met, she and I have been in communication for a year and a half, but I never met her. She said, how about you just uh, write a letter to her church because we found her church address. I said, okay, um, you know, but what do I say? What do... So then we decided to go the Facebook route, you know, all this social media stuff. So I send her a message on social media and I use the name that's on my original birth certificate. Again, not knowing a lot about the history of adoption, but not only are your adoptive names replaced, your adoptive parents' names put in as a replacement on your new birth certificate, but also your birth name is changed. So what was on my original birth certificate was not the name that my adoptive parents had given me. So I used that name in the letter that I wrote to my uh, biological mother and said, if that name means anything to you, I'd like to speak to you. Left my phone number. She never responded. So when my cousin mentioned writing the letter, we did that a few weeks later. Then my, I asked my birth mother to go back to Facebook, which is where I sent you a message and see, here's my phone number. Here's some information about me. And if you will, if you don't mind, you know, if you're interested, that's fine. If you're not, that's okay too. But if you'd like to talk, here's my name, my number, and you know, how you can reach out to me. So that happened the first week in January, first two weeks in January. And by January 29th, I received a message on Facebook from my birth mother that identified herself. And um, she was happy that I found her. Um, we we kind of verified ID and information. I sent her all my information so she would know that it was me. I, I often think of um, what the, the show went catfish. When you have somebody pretending to be somebody else, I didn't want her to think she was being catfish. So I sent her some pictures of me. I sent her um, my driver's license, which I probably shouldn't have done in hindsight, but I sent her my driver's license. I wanted her to see my birth date that was on my license so that she would know that I was a, a real person. And not too long after that, she sent me my biological father's name, told me his career, told me, you know, what field he was in. And so I then sent that information to my cousin that I found on Ancestry. And it turns out that was her first cousin. And she's, she calls me and Joy, we have to call him. That's my first cousin. He's going to be so, we grew up together. You're going to love him. You're going to love him. And I'm going, I, 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 I'm texting my biological mother. And then now you're telling me, you know, my birth father, it, it was just overwhelming. And um, from there, my cousin said, I said, how about you just call him? You call him and I'll figure out, you know, keep dealing with, with her and keep chatting with her because at that point it was just too much. And so she agreed to call him. And I said, he does know that I exist. So it won't be a super shock to him. And she's going, no, you, he, there's no way he knows. There's no way he knows about you if he did you know, then they go into, well, we would have kept you. We would have kept, I said, regardless of all that, um, he does know that I exist and we'll see where it goes from there. So she, she hangs up with me, calls me back a couple hours later and she takes a long breath and she says, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to call you. She said, it definitely won't be tonight. It might be about two or three days from now. And I, at that point, because I'm still messaging my birth mother, I'm like, it's okay. 
you know, when he's ready in his time, he'll reach out. Within 45 minutes, he's calling me on the phone, introducing himself, you know, asking me about me, telling me about family history. And he's a talker. So he talks to me at least a good two and a half hours, just telling me about the history of my family and my siblings and my um, aunts and uncles and everything that everybody else did. I, I always tell people that I liken that to him trying to let me know that although I was relinquished at birth, that I didn't come from junk. You know, it's like, this is the family stock that you come from. Let me tell you a little bit about who we are uh, so that I guess so that I could be proud about that as well. So the, that time went on. And so over that next month, he and I and she and I were communicating. My birth father, we would talk. My biological mother, we would message. She did not want to hear my voice. She didn't want to hear my voice until we actually met. Fast forward about three or four weeks after that, um, she invites me to her church. And she says, I would like to give my testimony before my church. She says, I feel responsible as a preacher to make sure that my congregation understands, you know, that I, I was human too. And that, you know, there were some things that went on in my life when I was younger, she said, and that I do, I just want to share my journey with them and then meet you at the same time. So for that three or four weeks, she and I had been communicating. We didn't, we didn't talk. We only messaged one another back and forth where my birth father on the opposite end, he was calling me every week. So we, we had regular conversation. So eventually we get to the day of the church and, and she goes before the church. It's Black History Month and she's preparing to uh, lead the service as an educator, she and her sister. They're leading the service and the worship. And then next thing we know, she goes up to sing a solo. And while she's singing, we're on opposite sides of the church. My biological father leans in and he says, you know, that's where you get your voice from. And so I'm like, wow. And then she begins to speak and give her testimony and the way she phrases things and the way she um, just her mannerisms. I'm just looking at her going, that's that's me. So that was the first time other than my children that I had seen someone that was my blood that I was related to. So taking all that in was something that was that was big, that was huge. And so over that time, she gave her testimony. She thanked my adoptive parents for all they had done. And then she introduced us to her church. So I come up and there's, there's African drummers and there's people playing this, that, and the other. And so then she introduces my parents and they come up. And the, there was no sermon that day. They never even got to a sermon because it, the entire church was just so emotional. It turned out that some of the African drummers that were there were adoptive parents. So they too had been having some of their own struggles with their families, with people respecting privacy, people asking the right questions or the wrong questions at the wrong times um, and dealing with, do we tell our children? Don't we tell our children? So it was just such an overwhelming experience, but a beautiful experience. And that was in February. That was just a month after the legislation had been finalized and you were able to actually get your original birth certificate. A month after that, uh, we decided that, um, I thought it would be good if my birth father came to my adoptive father's house so that we could do a family something. You know, I'm just thinking about men and then you have another man coming into another man's house that's saying that this is, you know, this is my child. And I wanted them to first have a conversation before we even had the meeting just man to man. And then the next thing we decided to do was have a family game night. So my oldest daughter 
uh, created this, this activity night. My biological father and his wife came down and we met the family. And at the same time, I got a chance to meet that cousin that I found on DNA and her on the DNA website on Ancestry and her husband. So over those next couple of months, that January to legislation, I got my original birth certificate. February, I met my birth mother. March, I met my birth father. By the end of March, my adoptive father and I were singing in a concert and together I invited everybody to come to that event to meet each other. One of the things I shared with them was, was how adoption support groups had been helping me along the journey and that I, I could see adoptees in my support group struggling and they shared stories of struggling when they began to have a reunion and how having a reunion can cause such tension within, within the families on all sides, you know, because everybody's not gonna be happy about an adoptee reuniting with their biological parent. Um, so I wanted my, both my adoptive and my birth parents to realize that this, is, this was gonna be tough on all of us. As much as it, it is a celebration, I learned through, through reading a couple different books that it takes you back to that time or it would take both my adoptive parents and my birth parents back to the time when I was born and whatever was going on in their lives and that I had to be mindful me as the adoptee and other people around that there's gonna be highs and lows. They may be excited, yes, but it may take them back to whatever trauma was going on in their lives. And so I encourage them to read a book. It's Adoption Reunions by Michelle McComb. And the book gives you a breakdown, pre-reunion, during a reunion, post-reunion, and just some things to think about. And it gives you information in each person's perspective. So in the book, I could flip to a section that talked about the birth mom and it told me about how the birth mom would go back to while you're preparing for a reunion, how it may take her back to when she was pregnant. And if, if it was a hidden pregnancy, that that's going to be bringing up some trauma. I never thought about that. It talked about the adoptive parents, how when you um, talk about a reunion, those fears of the child being taken away by the birth parents, which is something some many adoptive parents struggle with, you know, that was going to be an issue too that, that may surface for them. But realizing that through all the highs and lows that we each were going to have to figure those things out along the way. And that if we communicated with one another and we were honest, you know, if you needed to step back for a few minutes to be able to say that and respect each other's space as we were all going through this together. I think one of the beautiful things for me that I really felt helped was that my adoptive parents were open to everything. They said, Joy, this is about you. You know, we're here for you. We love you. We know this is something that's been on your heart to do and to figure out as you go through your own life's journey. And so whatever we can do, you know, we're here for you. And, and that support also came through when I wrote the memoir. My adopted mom said, you know, forget about everybody else's feelings. Just write the book, write the book, write whatever you're feeling. And that gave me a freedom to just express some of the things that I've never said to anybody about how I felt about my adoption journey over the years. They didn't know that I was looking in magazines to, to find people who look like me. They didn't know when I went to certain family events that I, you know, you still felt kind of out of order. They didn't know that during school projects that asked about a family tree, how angry that would make me because I didn't know, you know, I felt, I felt like I was doing the wrong thing, learning my adopted sides 
family history when I didn't know my own family history. So, and, and even now I struggle with, okay, so how do I draw my family tree? But there, there were just so many things that um, I was silent about. So when I write that in, in the bio in the beginning, it's truly, we're sitting in silence, afraid to share what's really going on in our minds. And so I've, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from adoptive parents who said that, you know, sometimes we're not sure, especially in those preteen years, we're not sure what we should ask, what we shouldn't ask. When your friends, you know, are older and they, you see another couple adopting a baby, we're not sure what we should ask or shouldn't ask. So I felt that I received a lot of help being in an, an adoption support group, being able to voice some of my thoughts and my concerns, help, helping to figure out that I wasn't, you know, crazy. I just had some adoption issues. So I thought if I put some of that into my memoir, it, it just might help somebody else because I was helped so much by, by just the support and being able to have those conversations with people who experienced it, who knew what I was dealing with, who didn't make me feel bad about, you know, doing a search and doing a reunion and who helped me answer, figure out how to answer questions that sometimes made me feel uncomfortable, you know, answering either in front of my birth parents or my adoptive parents. You mentioned questions, questions that are okay to ask, questions that aren't okay to ask or would be inappropriate to ask. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe some of the emotions that go along with being an adoptee or even the emotions that are experienced by the adoptive parents. Were there different emotions as you matured? Like, you know, as a like beyond age five and to preteen years and to your teenage years, high school, and then after that. And, and how did that affect your relationships? Um, <laughs> because I, I would imagine that there is a, a sense of abandonment. Mm -hmm. Just knowing what I know that that sense of abandonment can actually um, create uh, a level of clinginess. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of different definitely uh, attachment disorder. Yeah, attachment issues and abandonment, fears of abandonment. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and the anxious part, the anxiety part of it, comes along with those fears of abandonment and staying in unhealthy relationships. Because I found, I in hindsight now, I found that one, I was doing things as, as a people pleaser. Um, you know, you don't want to mess up something because, you know, as people sometimes tell adoptees, you should be happy. You should be grateful that somebody adopted you. You should be thankful, you know, and then I would get questions going through my reunion. How dare you do this to your, your adoptive parents, all that they've done for you. And what I think people sometimes don't think about is what the adoptive parents were out trying to fill something in their hearts as well. So why is it when it comes down to certain things that it's always that the adoptee should be grateful, the, the adoptee should do this, that, and the other, when we're just as much of a blessing to the adoptive parents as they are to us. Um, so I think sometimes we have to be careful how we phrase those things, being sensitive to, to the adoptee as well. Um, you talked about uh, sense of abandonment, and, and I, I mentioned people pleasers, and sometimes we, we choose the wrong people because we're we stay in a relationship that's unhealthy because we're afraid to let it go that somebody else might not love us. Our, our, I, we, I've dealt with the, the issue of, am I lovable? Am I worthy? Am I lovable if my biological mother didn't keep me? 
So if she didn't keep me, how could I struggle with that? How, how am I good enough for anybody else? You know, and everybody's, oh, Joy, you're cute. You're a model. You do this. You, But on the inside, none of that matter. It doesn't, all that doesn't matter when you don't feel good on the inside and your self-esteem is low and you just think people are going to leave you. You're going to do everything you can to hang on to people, even if it's the wrong one. And it definitely impacts relationships. And I think that's why, again, that's why it's important that we start talking about this. And sometimes people then can look at the folks that they're around, then if things start to make sense of people that they've been in relationships with that have been uh, clingy, you know, and afraid to let go, or you see people stay in relationships that are unhealthy and you're like, well, why would they stay? Don't they? It's that fear of abandonment, that fear of being alone, that, that sense of not being good enough, that maybe you're with me, you know, and I should just be happy with, with what I get. So a lot of that plays into the emotions of all that. And a lot of that improves with maturity, but I found that counseling really helped um, being able to have those conversations and being able to figure out why did I stay in this relationship so long? And I knew it was unhealthy. Well, you were afraid that uh, you would that you weren't good enough and that nobody else was gonna come along down the line. So you hung on to something for dear life even though it wasn't the right thing for you to do. One thing that's very apparent to me talking with you is that though adoption can be a very good thing, it can also be a form of trauma. And when it's experienced that way, where it's maybe that abandonment trauma later on in life, trauma tends to breed more trauma by getting into unhealthy relationships and staying too long and making decisions based on fear of uh, losing out something Mm -hmm. like maybe I won't ever get anything this good again, even though it's a horrible relationship. And and so I think that uh, a lot of times we don't frame adoption in that, uh, in that way where I, I think a lot of the, the therapy, the, the counseling, probably even EMDR would be beneficial for, for that. I don't know, I'm not a mental health professional, but I've been through my fair share of counseling and therapy, so. Yeah, yeah, and, and, that, and that's a big part of it. And for me, as a person who was adopted at two months old, People often say, oh, well, you you know, it doesn't bother you. You were young when it happened. Yeah, I was two months old. And I always say that when we when a woman is pregnant and a child is in the womb, we often tell the, the father, talk to the woman's belly, play classical music, play music so that the child can hear these things. So if it's that important while the child is in the womb, what do you think separating a child from their mother does? It's a loss. So you're starting your life with a loss. And so I think if we begin to acknowledge that trauma and figure out what do we need to do over time to help not only the family that now may be raising that child, but also as an educator, what can we do in schools to be able to help educators understand what's going on for the adopted child, but also for the adopted family and how can we put some things in in place to support them. I I have a great book that talks about, you asked about questions as well. 
and it's called what do I say now and it gives you answers for awkward questions and comments about adoption uh, and then here on the cover of the book it has a woman holding a, a, a Caucasian woman holding a black baby and the older lady is asking a question and her question says her comment says I bet she looks just like her father and so you know that that is not that woman's biological child in this particular case and so what is that an appropriate statement to make? You could ask a different question, you know, and then how do you expect the adoptive parents to respond? So there are so many, and the authors are Carol Bick and MC Baker, and they take you through all kinds of questions that do make a family feel uncomfortable. And sometimes people think because you can see an obvious difference, and those are called transracial adoptions when it's two different races, when you can see an obvious difference, that is okay for you to ask the question that's not necessarily doesn't give you the green light to ask people, you know, their own personal business. Uh, you know, the one that I hear often is where are your real parents? Um, my stepson, actually, when he met my biological father, he already knew my adoptive parent. But when he met my biological father, he said, oh, so I'm about to meet your real dad. And I just looked at him and I said, can you define real for me? And so, having those conversations with people. No, we use birth or biological and we use adoptive. So making sure we're sensitive to the language. You know, how, how come your mother and father gave you up? You know, those are conversations you might not want to ask somebody out in the public, you know, when their child is right there with them. And through this particular book, uh, it gives you a quick, fi quick fix answer as the adoptive parent that you could share a question, a comment where you could raise awareness. And if you wanted to spend a little bit more time, because we pick and choose how we answer questions of different people. If it's a family member in the right setting, you might elaborate a little bit more. If it's just some random stranger on the street, you may respond differently. But sometimes in the moment, we might not have in our toolkit, how am I gonna respond to that particular question? So there, there's, some, there's some great books that are out there. And there's actually a publishing house called Tapestry Books. That's nothing but adoption and foster care resources, uh, books, audio tapes, videotapes, er everything you can think of, audio books, games, um, you know, and, and who knew that that resource was out there? A full publishing house devoted to adoption and foster care? I didn't find that out until a couple of years ago. How come that's not a resource that we're sharing with our families and our schools? So I just think that, that there are ways to answer certain questions that come up and sometimes you just have to choose not to answer. Now, do you have a website? I do, my website is findingjoy.us and everything that we um, talked about today in terms of links and resources and finding out information on what your state's rules are for uh, open adoption records, on my website on the bottom corner, it says links and that'll give you all the links to everything we talked about today. I will have uh, link to your website in the show notes. And I would imagine uh, listeners, if they want to purchase your books, they can find them there as well. Yeah, everything. All my books are on, on, on Amazon. You'll find the memoir and the two children's books. I, as we were having this conversation, I was actually thinking of a, uh, two different couples that I know of that have uh, foster kids and have adopted multiple mm. children and mm -hmm. I would like to think that they know of these resources but I don't I don't know I've never had the conversation with them so I, I'm 
I'm very thankful that I was able to have this conversation with you. I feel like I'm, you know, more aware, uh, uh, better educated on, on the topic. And um, maybe I have some information that I could share with them. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and one thing I like to share with people too, especially as you talk about foster parents, when you know adoptive and foster parents uh, and they're bringing a child into their home, it's not a place, it's not like bringing in uh, your biological child from home where people can just start popping over to see the new baby. You want to give that family a little bit of space so that the child can acclimate to the house and they can acclimate to the child and the family can begin to bond. Sometimes we, we, we want to help, we want to be supportive, but we want to just jump right over and say hello, and that might not be the time. So we also have to be mindful that if they're telling you no, you know, it's in the best interest of the child that they're bringing into their house. But something that I, I people always say, what can I do to help adoptive and foster families? And they'll say, Joy, I don't want to adopt. I said, we're not asking everybody to adopt. Everybody should not adopt. <laughs> but, but for those of you who are not interested in, in adopting, whatever your skill or your craft or your gift is, uh, one example we use, if you like to cook, and you know a friend of yours just adopted or someone in your community just adopted uh, or, or is bringing in foster children, cook a meal for them. Just drop it off. You don't have to give a full explanation. I don't know too many people that would turn that down. You know, you, you have to, if it's a, an adoptive child, you could offer to support. If it's a foster child, uh, you could offer to um, babysit, I was going to say, and, and, and tutor if you're an educator or if you're really good in a specific subject. If you're a beautician, offer a free haircut. You know, whatever you can do, everybody can do something, you know, and I, and I think that if we find out what organizations are in your area that if that you could possibly donate to our particular organization, Miriam's Heart, we work with uh, adoptive and foster families. So we have what's called respite nights, which gives the adoptive parents a break. So the kids get dropped off. We have them for a couple of hours and we do games this weekend. We have planting. And next month we have, um, we're going to a baseball game in July. So being able to sponsor a family to go to an event, $12 a ticket, $9 to put up, you know, to do some planting. Sometimes again, it doesn't require us to donate huge amounts of money and it doesn't require huge amounts of time. Um, and it could be something as simple as dropping off a meal to a family that just brought in a new foster child or a couple of foster children that just need, need a break. Great, great advice, great input. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that you've shared. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, pretty incredible story. It's awesome. Like how, how are things with your, with your family now, uh, adoptive and, and biological? Uh, well, I got married during the pandemic. Um, both my fathers walked me down the aisle. Uh, my biological mother and my adopted father sang at our wedding. Um, my, both my, my, my adopted mother gave the announcement at the reception. It's, it's been a journey. It, it's, it's, as uh, one gentleman said, he said, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Relationships take time. I, I don't expect, and I did in the beginning, that it, because we were biological, that snap, I could snap my fingers and relationships would be formed and everything would be great. It takes time. You're still getting to know a stranger. You just have this blood and biological connection. And it's been five years now, and we're, we're still in the process of getting to know one another. And it's been, a, it's been a joy, though. It's been a joy. Before we go, is there anything that we didn't talk? We covered a lot of ground, but 
maybe there's something that uh, you could address um, that that we didn't touch on that you feel is important to share with the audience. Yeah, I, one thing that I think that I, I didn't elaborate on enough was the the notion of when you do have reunions, everybody is not as the adoptee, as the adoptive parent and the birth parents. It's a stressful time. There's a lot of things that are going to be said. There's a lot of things that may come up that may surface for the adoptee about their birth story that they weren't aware of, um, for the adoptive parents about feelings they have about the birth parents and just all across the the triad or the triangle. And I mentioned that my adoptive parents said, Joy, you know, this is about you and we're here to do things for you. But there's also adoptees who find themselves that are kind of split in between. And the adoptive family doesn't want to deal with the birth family. The birth family doesn't want to deal with the adoptive family. And the adoptee is kind of torn. So one thing I would ask people to do is to on the adoptive and birth parent side is to think less about yourself in that moment and think about the adoptee. Um, I've heard people say to the adoptee on the, uh, on the adopted parent side, well, your birth family did this to you and they were you know, in a bad life when you were born and it's because of all the bad things that they've done that here you are here, that's how we ended up with you and kind of like you should be mad at them. But I just want to remind the adoptive parents that that is still the bio, the adoptee's biological parent. That's still their parent. And, you know, regardless of what was done in the past and what the history was, there is still some allegiance to them because that's how they came into this world. But also that's how they came into the adoptive family's world as well. So there's a lot of things that can be said and done and everybody is not happy about a reunion. And as the adoptee, I was, you have to be prepared for that. Um, there's some people that are going to be angry with you. There's some people that are going to be happy for you. And it, it, it takes an emotional toll. Um, but finding a support group and finding a great counselor is, is a good piece of that. But communicating with both your adoptive and your birth family will help with that as well. And as the adoptee, if you're older, um, making sure you kind of set the ground and set the framework with how you want things to be done that you're hoping that they're done decently and that they're done in order and that people consider you and your feelings because all you're trying to do is just figure out who the heck you are um, as you're going through this reunion process and having both sides of your family battling or, or upset or trying to pull you towards a, to be loyal to one side or another does nothing but um, make the situation a little worse. And I, I just ask that people think about the adoptee along that journey. It's tough for everybody. Glad you shared that. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Joy, for everything that you're doing. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for taking the time to share with me and, and my audience. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. And I believe that finding joy is possible. We just have to put in the work and, and be open to um, thinking differently. I think that's the best way I can put it. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, 
please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.